Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes, Ross Martin. It's Tuesday night as we record this, so it must be the Greg, Ross, and Tommy show. I'll start with Ross. First off, um, we talked a little bit off the air, and I talked to plenty with Sherelle McMillan after the postgame in Virginia Tech. Just not a good look for North Carolina basketball on Monday night in Blacksburg. Ross, your take? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of got that feeling watching that game that it was not UNC's night and that the game was over pretty early in the second half um, and that UNC really only has two consistent scoring options. I think that's a big takeaway. I know uh, Evan and Greg wrote about that on Tuesday night. Um, and it's looking that way once Kenny Williams fouled out um, and there wasn't any other guys contributing offensively and they were getting – Virginia was just Virginia Tech was just taking it to UNC. You just kind of saw this game was going to be – it was going to be a long night. It was, it was over pretty early. Uh, they just, Virginia Tech just had the juice and, and UNC did not have it. And, and my question is kind of the first time this season where I've kind of doubted this team's ability to – to kind of bounce back and, and, and compete and be a, a top 10 team that's going to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. I think we saw, you know, I think we're seeing more and more how this team is on the road and the lack of consistency they produce um, on defense and offense. And there's just a lot of concerns highlighted uh, at Virginia Tech because I don't know how good Virginia Tech really is. And obviously they played, they played up and they, they showed up and they really dominated Virginia uh, UNC on a lot of different levels. I thought they attacked the basket, something that UNC always does, and UNC settled for threes. And I thought that was kind of the the big difference between how each team uh, approached the game offensively, and that's kind of how the flow of the game went. And obviously, attacking the basket and scoring and drawing fouls worked out better for the Hokies, and and the shots didn't drop enough for UNC to to have a chance there in, in the halfway through the second half. Greg, watching that game, um, and we've seen it in the past, like in years past, maybe Carolina will have a game where they just don't look into it. I think Georgia Tech last year. Uh, there have been other times. But this is the second or third time that North Carolina has played this way, and, and doing it in Blacksburg is probably the worst of the bunch. But your thoughts on – you know, we're in January 22nd, 23rd, late January, middle of the ACC grind. And for whatever reason, on the road especially, this team just can't get it done in the effort column. I think they're playing fairly hard, but the effort's not there. If There can be a difference there. Your thoughts there? Yeah, the effort topic, Roy has brought that up a bunch. And I, I, I really think that the issue there is the effort is not as far off as it has been in recent years, but I think the margin of error for this team is so slim that effort uh, becomes kind of a larger topic. And what I mean by that is in years past, North Carolina could go through the motions and maybe like last year at Georgia Tech, you know, they just don't show up whatsoever and they get beat. And Roy goes on a rant and they kind of bounce back, and as long as they play, you know, maybe not 100% effort level, but 90, 95%, they're going to beat pretty much every team. And then you get to the postseason, 
and then they turn it up and they have a good run. I mean, 09 is a perfect example. They lost a couple games early in the ACC season. They had no business losing. And then once they turned it on in the postseason, nobody was going to touch them once they got an NCAA tournament. This team is not like that. And so I think that's one of the reasons that the effort issue has, has become such a hot topic for Roy, especially. And I really think what happened in Blacksburg is, is a serious concern because during the Roy Williams era, we know there are certain ways that you can beat UNC. You've got you teams like what Michigan State did earlier this year, what Butler has done in the past. We saw it in Hawaii. We saw it uh, down in, at the Atlantis a couple of years ago where teams will out-physical UNC. They'll be tougher than UNC. And you can win that way against the Tar Heels at times. Then you have teams that really just kind of slam on the brakes and play at a very slow pace. Virginia is a great example of that. That's one reason UNC has had such an issue with that type of team in recent years. And then you've got teams that maybe are not as talented, but they get red hot from outside, and they knock down just a ton of threes. And so that's really kind of the three ways that you see teams beat North Carolina. What the Hokies did was none of those three things, really. Yes, they made 12 three-pointers, but they only shot 40% from three, so not like an absurd number. But they beat UNC at their own game. They out-hustled them. I mean, these stats are just astounding to me. Points in the paint, Virginia Tech won 32-26. Fast break points, Virginia Tech won 11-4. Points off turnovers, Virginia Tech won 11-2. Virginia Tech wanted to push the tempo, and there were countless plays where they excelled at that, and they were able to kind of get things going in their direction, and UNC was like, ah, okay, we got to catch up with them. Um, And that, to me, is alarming because we don't see Roy Williams' teams get beat in some of those areas. And so I kind of, I think that speaks to some of the issues here. And so when Roy talks about effort, I really think that's the call of saying, hey guys, if you don't give it your all every single night, you're going to have games like this where they're going to come down to the wire and UNC has, has been afforded some breaks because they are a veteran team. They know how to close games out. Uh, games out. And so, you know, at Notre Dame, against Wake Forest, uh, at Tennessee, they've been able to kind of rally despite not playing well. And yes, they, they're you know, one and three on the road in the ACC, but Wake Forest was a lot closer than that game should have been. And UNC lost at home to Wofford. So this is not an isolated road game situation. This has been an issue all season long. And when they're not playing with that effort level at you know, maximum level, we see some some issues like what happened in Blacksburg, uh, and, and I think that that's the main reason that effort has been such a, a kind of a hot talking point of late. And Ross, uh, before we get to questions off Twitter and off the message board, I've given Felton a hard time all year about what he's bringing to the table, and he had some issues against Virginia Tech as well, but it's kind of like we talked about off the air. You got veterans out there that were struggling um, with the concept of playing up the Virginia Virginia Tech's level, uh, you had Barry not getting back on defense, giving up second chance rebounds. You had, you know, Kenny Williams walking up the court there when Virginia Tech's on a breakout. I mean, those are upper class guys. Um, I almost can give a pass to a young one, a young and freshman, but it's really no excuse. 
so anything going on that you see, uh, I mean, I think, you know, the, the turnaround, I think, had something to do with it. But as Greg said, it's been an issue more than once, and it's been an issue at home and away. Yeah, there's really no excuse for, you know, guys like Barry and Pinson who have been in this, uh, this conference for four years now, and Kenny Williams and Luke May have been there for three years. They kind of they know the effort needed against these teams on the road. Virginia Tech, like all these other teams, they have seniors and juniors, and they, they have athletes. They have guys who can take it to UNC, and this isn't, uh, this isn't a normal UNC team. You know, this is not the team that blows out ACC squads by 20 like Hansborough's teams did. This is a team that's, that needs, you know, effort and to make shots and be smart and can't turn the ball over because, like Greg said, there is a, a really small margin of error, and that's important to know. I think another point that Greg touched on is the depth of this team. Uh, last year, you had Nate Britt who come in and could, could help Joel Berry um, relieve some time there. You had Tony Bradley who came in and could contribute in a big way. And I think this team, 2017-18 squad, doesn't really have that valuable of a reserve um, that you can consistently count on. Now, we've seen Sterling Manley do some things. We've seen um, Brand Robinson recently do some things. I think he deserves more minutes for his effort and what he can do offensively and defensively. But there's just a lot of glaring errors and issues with this team and missing parts that we've talked about endlessly on this podcast. And when you, you combine that with a, a little lack of effort or focus or whatever it is, it's kind of hard to kind of put into words and conceptualize effort and energy. There are some big time issues moving forward. I think UNC will continue to lose some road games. I think there's kind of blood in the water with the ACC. Coaches are going to see how to attack UNC because I think Virginia Tech laid out a kind of a blueprint of how to take it to UNC and how to crash the boards and how to box out. And um, yeah, I mean, we're looking at a team that if they don't, you know, really pick it up in certain areas, it's going to be a, uh, some dicey games moving forward. And people are hopping off the bandwagon and, and thinking the season's over. But remember, this team has five losses. There's a lot of games left. And this does have senior leaders. So they do have guys who can kind of put it all together. And I think that's important to remember before we just completely bash the squad off of a, a, a big loss. I think this was a big loss. But obviously, it's hard to play on the road. The spread was, what, three or four at game time. A lot of stuff there to unpack with that, Ross, and it sort of leads me so, to some of these Twitter questions. So let's start with those. And, Greg, it's something we've talked about, I believe, on these shows, Felton playing with Barry. I don't know that it's happened much at all. I know that Williams, or Roy Williams will move Barry off the ball and let Pinson sort of run the show. But your thoughts on letting Felton get some time out there with Joel Barry um, maybe less pressure when he's on the court if Barry's out there with him. Well, I think the easy answer is that's a good way to get Felton some some minutes, sure. But if you're playing any kind of traditional lineup, which Roy still is doing, you know, maybe not half the time, but you know, getting plenty of minutes, you've got Cam Johnson, you've got Theo Pinson, you've got Kenny Williams. So are you going to take one of those guys off the court for extended minutes just to give Felton some extra minutes? I don't think so. And so the way that the lineup is kind of structured right now, your strength is on the perimeter. And so you have to take one of those guys off the court to give Felton some minutes that maybe he hasn't quite earned. 
And I think that's really what it comes down to is in theory, yes, that makes a lot of sense. But against Virginia Tech, you after the first you know, 12 minutes of the game or whatever, you're trailing. So is that the time, the time to really give Felton a lot of minutes? I don't think so. Um, so, you know, I think if you see some some games that maybe UNC can blow some teams out, which I don't know if there's any <laughs> of those games left on the schedule, that would be an opportunity to do it. But for now, when Barry goes out and Felton comes in for him, Felton's got to prove that he earns, he, he deserves some minutes and that he earns that time. And I think that's how he, he gets more playing time. And then maybe if you can steal some extra minutes alongside of Barry when they go with that small lineup, and maybe you'll see that some, but but I think that's the primary issue, and that's why you don't see those two guys on the court together much, if at all. Yeah, and it comes down to the chicken and egg sort of thing, Ross, that we've also talked about. Felton needs more minutes, but he hadn't really earned more minutes. So at some point, he needs to play more to show that he can you know, help out but Roy Williams can't play him with the risk of losing ball games. But then when you have the upperclassmen, like we saw against Virginia Tech, not putting forth the effort, Ross, in your opinion, is does should that give Felton more time? Or even Brandon Robinson, like you said, because I agree, and Sherelle talked about it last night on the postgame, that Brandon Robinson's probably earned some more minutes. I mean, it's a quandary that Coach Williams is in, so how does he approach it? Yeah. heading into NC State. That's tough. Um, yeah, I think you just got to run with, with Felton and just let him make some mistakes in the first half and get him comfortable and see what he can do because yeah, we've said we've, we've seen flashes. You just got to give him more time to get in the flow of the game. It's so tough to get in the flow when you're taken out and you're in that fear of making mistakes. And, uh, and when you do, you're going to get yanked. So I would give him more time, you know, four or five minutes in the first half. And then spot minutes in the second half when you have maybe when it's when you need to when you figure out if you really need Barry in for the long term or what. So that's what I'll do. And I think I think it's clear Brand Robinson's earned more time and can split minutes now with with Theo and um and Kenny Williams and help them. Cause I think Brandon Robinson brings a lot. He's he's shot. He knocked down that jumper last night. He was two for two against Clemson. Uh he's long, he can rebound, he's aggressive. You know, obviously he's gonna make some mistakes here and there as he continues to learn the system, both on offense and defense. But I think he's he's a guy who can be that energy guy off the bench and really come in. And it seems like he can come in and and, and knock down shots. Uh, and he deserves more time, and I think he sh- will get more because he has been kind of a bright spot in recent games. Greg, let's go inside. Manley and Brooks are the guy. Huffman's not getting any relevant playing time here, so. Someone asked, uh, Thomas Fanjoy asked on Twitter, why is Manley behind Brooks in the rotation? And I sort of understood that when Brooks was starting and Manley had to come off the bench for the, whatever, the conditioning test he hadn't passed to be able to start. But uh, neither one of them got many minutes uh, against Virginia Tech or against Clemson, if my memory serves. But your thoughts there uh, on that rotation that's going on? Well, I think the the key there is the fact that Garrison Brooks gives you better minutes defensively, at least according to how UNC does their defensive player of the game honors. Um, I was trying to find that stat right here because I know Brooks won it again uh, a couple games ago. Let me see here. 
And while you're looking, that would be a good question for Dewey Burke on one of our next podcasts is how are, how is that graded? Because like you said, um, as you look for that, you said at least the way they grade it. And, uh, yeah, and it, it's, it's graded plus minus. I mean, you have, you have positive plays, you have negative plays. Uh, and so you guys that play a lot more minutes, you know, there, there's more opportunities for grading. But Brooks has won that award four times this year. Uh, and so kind of as a comparison, Luke Mays also won it four times. So clearly he's doing something on the defensive end of the floor that the coaches like. Um, and you know, both of them are shooting a pretty good percentage. I think that's that's something key. If you look what they're doing in ACC play, I mean, Garrison Brooks is shooting you know, 70%. Manley's at 52%. Manley's taking a lot more shots, uh, even though Brooks is getting some more minutes. So I, I don't think it's really worth dissecting, hey, why is this guy getting more minutes than this guy? I think the fact that both of those guys are giving you some quality t- minutes together, that's what you want. And we've talked about that a lot this year. You don't need Garrison to be your stud, or you don't need Manley to be your stud. You need all these guys to come together to give you one option in the post. And if you have to kind of build them out of you know, segments of the game where Garrison gives you good minutes in the first half, Manley in the second half, or vice versa, you will take that just to steal as many minutes as you can in that traditional lineup. And that's, that's one of the interesting things in that Virginia Tech game is when May was getting a breather late, you saw Brooks and Manley both on the court together. Uh, and so I, I think both of them are coming along. They're not coming along probably as, as quickly as Roy would like or as quickly as the team needs. But we knew that was an issue. We knew these guys weren't you know, elite, top 10, top 15 type talents and that their development was going to be key to the season. Uh, and they're, they're not quite as far progressed as, as maybe UNC needs them to be at this point in time. But you're looking ahead. I think those guys have bright futures ahead of them. I think when those two guys get in, they need to do two things. They need to grab every board they can. They need to just be a beast on the boards. I think they've been told that. I think Manly, you can kind of see him. That's the, the main thing he focuses on. And they just need to be solid post defenders and affect shots and limit the drives and be rim protectors. Manly, obviously a better uh, guy for rim protecting than Brooks. I feel like Brooks kind of gets lost in the fold. You don't really see him out there as much. Manley seems like he maybe makes more impact plays. Of course, defense is kind of hard to really see who's really making the impact uh, based on how UNC grades it. But that needs to be the, the two main things. Rebounding, just grab boards, keep balls alive, defend interior, and then putbacks. Just your beat, your offense should be put putback shots inside, little dump-offs and dunks. And uh, that's what those two guys need to do. Those should be the two or three things they focus on. little break into the news here. Clemson scored 36 points tonight against Virginia. If you saw that little, wow. little off the topic. They scored 13 what? points in the second half. That is uh, – to Virginia. Virginia is like uh, Paul Johnson's Georgia Tech. Yeah. You, you do not want to play them. That That's incredible. 36 points in 40 minutes. Well, yeah. Clemson lost Dante Grantham with an ACL injury for the year, and he was probably their best player. So that is a significant blow to the Tigers on top of the fact they did not get uh, – Zion, which everybody kind of had them penciled in as Zion. So that just been a, a heck of a week for, for Brad Brunel. UNC has them uh, next Tuesday in, uh, in Clemson. You're listening to the Inside Carolina Radio Show. We'll be right back after these messages. 
Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Uh, I'll hop in with your question here for Greg. Why can't UNC go to a zone when other teams are raining down open threes on UNC? That's from Tar Heel Iron at 44 underscore Ronnie. Yeah, that's, that's a good question, but they can. And we've seen it before in the past. Uh, and there's been countless times over the years, and I find this hysterical, but countless times where a team will get hot from three, Roy will quickly switch to a zone. And what happens? The other team hits a three over the zone. Roy gets out of the zone. And then in the post game, it's like, look, I even switched to a zone. It didn't work. So I scrapped it. Uh, but the key point here is that Roy Williams, as always, preferred the man-to-man defense. Yeah. Uh, he feels like he, he coaches it better. He understands it better. And as we've talked about on this podcast before, Roy is such a big proponent of dominating the, the glass that he believes that people, when you're in a zone, they lose track of people to box out. Man-to-man is pretty easy. The guy you're guarding is the guy that you box out. And that's kind of the key component. And I know another question was about switching zone, switching uh, ball screens yeah. when you're in man-to-man, help defense. The, the key that people need to understand about how Roy Williams runs his defense, it's kind of – exactly the same way that he likes to run his offense. It's from the inside out. He wants to take away the high percentage shot at the rim. And so if a team is able to get into the paint, uh, he wants his guys to help off the perimeter and stop that shot at the rim. And what we have seen this year a lot, and we see it every year, is that teams that are able to get dribble penetration, they're able to kick out and teams get open looks. Now, where UNC has had success in recent years, especially with a guy like Marcus Page, who was really good uh, on-ball defender, you didn't see guys getting into the paint quite as easy. And so you didn't have as many as those, those open kickouts. Uh, Roy has talked about on-ball defense has been an issue this year. Uh, but in terms of switching screens, you're kind of limited. I guess you could do it more with the, the small lineup. You're kind of limited when you have some of those bigs in there because if you have Brooks or Manley and they get matched up with a small forward or guard, you forget it. They're just not in a position yet to be able to to switch and be effective on the perimeter. So I think that probably has a lot to do with it. But he likes you know, just sticking with basic man, fighting through screens, uh, and, and doing that's just what he's always done. That's what he's comfortable doing. And that's why he does that. And you know, he doesn't refuse necessarily to switch to the zone. He's just not comfortable playing the zone for extended periods of time. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Roy is a purist, and I think it's, it's the most basic defense that's the most effective, and obviously they practice that. That's what you want to use the most. Uh, I've always thought, I mean, zone is something that teams can shoot over and find holes to shoot in, and I think defending jump shots and three-point shots man-to-man is much better for that because you you have a guy on the ball and you're they, they can't find those little gaps that a, a zone allows. Um, and yeah, UNC's always you know gone through screens. You got always have the the guy who's guarding the screener hedge out, which means kind of you know 
make sure that the ball handler is is being defended while your guy goes over or under the screen. And that's kind of what UNC has always done. Um, and I think it's been pretty effective. Obviously, I mean, a, a screen is a um, is a good offensive move. It's an effective move for for successful reasons. So that's why they do that. But uh, I would answer that question. I got a question for you, Tommy. Um, well, let guy, me say let me say this about ball uh, about Carolina's defense, and you know we we've talked about the hedge and all the, the you know, twenty re, twenty ways to deal with the pick and roll and all those type things. But Carolina's issue is not over helping. It, it, it's not leaving open threes. It's they cannot stop the ball. Yeah. And and I wanted to get both of your takes on that. That situation is a killer for any team. I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, I'll use Duke as an example. When Duke can't stop dribble drive, they get beat by teams that can take advantage of that. And that's been an Achilles heel. People wonder why three-point three point shots are always open against Carolina. That's the reason. And they're not open when they have somebody that can keep somebody out of lane. So I think until that improves, and that's got to come from Barry, it's got to come from Kenny Williams, who had been doing well. It's got to come from Theo Pinson. What I've seen late against North Carolina, I saw it a lot against Virginia Tech, is Barry and Pinson, and Greg, your thought on this, seeing it in person, is Barry and Pinson with their hands up, trying to slide, trying to prevent the guy from getting around them. The guy gets around them. They're not in a position to do anything other than either let him go or foul him. And then somebody comes and helps, and it's just easy pickings for any decent college guard. And that would be the biggest disappointing thing from looking at it, Carolina's defense from that perspective is is that portion of it that Barry Pinson and Williams of late have really struggled doing that. And there's a couple things here. Yeah, number one, uh, there's it's very tough to control dribble penetration given some of the rule changes with hand checking kind of being outlawed and. Uh, a lot of these different things, you know, kind of limiting physicality and the fact that you can carry the ball now essentially without getting it called. So a lot of things work in the office of players' um, favor. But the other dynamic too is there, there's a big difference in allowing a guy just to go right around you and go right down the middle of the lane, uh, which you know, there's Cam Johnson has struggled with that at times, especially when he first came back and still getting into conditioning. But there's also, you a guy can kind of get around you, but if you can change his angle of attack to where he's not going straight down the lane, but maybe having to go across the lane, that's okay. You can live with that because you don't have to help quite as much. Uh, but I think another factor, too, is kind of the depth. And you're seeing a lot of issues. You know, Felton's having problems with it. Play tag as freshmen. Uh, you know, a lot of people not Nate Britt. Nate Britt was excellent defensively with uh, on-ball defense. And with him and Marcus Page, as I mentioned earlier, both of those guys are really good with that. And so you lose them over the last two years. Uh, and now Barry does a pretty good job with it. Uh, Kenny does a pretty good job. You know, Theo, man, not, not as well as he needs to be. But if, if Barry and Williams aren't perfect, then you do have some situations. And I, I think you do see some, some times where guys are overhelping. Uh, off the wings and that does make for easy pickings like you said Tommy so I, I think there's a lot of different things that go into it I, I think as Roy has said uh, Kenny is consistently a really good defender 
Joel is is a good defender, probably not as consistent as he needs to be. And considering you know he's guarding the, the point guard who does most of the damage, especially uh, with penetration most of the time, uh, that that leads to some problems. And without really anybody else able to come in and give him a breather, uh, that that's where kind of some of the minutes become a factor as well. And Ross, I didn't mean to cut you off, so you go ahead and, and ask your I question, just, and I'll, I will pontificate. Kind of get some quick hitters in here. One guy asked, I mean, I think this is a good kind of uh, off the topic a little bit, but, you know, did the sun come up tomorrow for UNC and the coaches and players? I mean, the fan base seems to hop on. This leads to a broader question. The fans and everybody and us and the media seems to just hop off this UNC team every time they lose. And then every time they win, we're back on and they're great. And they're knocking down threes and their offense is awesome. The small, small ball lineup is, is great and really knows what he's doing. And then one loss and it's trouble. So, I mean, what kind of team is this? I think from a broader scheme, you know, is this a, are they going to come back and, and rock off, you know, three or four wins straight and, and be a top seed in the AC tournament? Or are we in a place now where we've seen more games where, this team, I think, uh, is kind of – it is what it is. They're going to lose these away games. Uh, I think this is a question, kind of a, ge- a general broad question on the fan base and, and the media and how we kind of operate with the the fickle nature of this uh, UNC team. I guess that's for both of y'all. Let's dive well, in. Yeah, I'll start with it. I think, you know, social media has been great for sports and terrible for sports. And – the way it, it just explodes when something goes wrong or something goes right. It's never as bad as it sounds. It's never as good as it seems. Um, it's interesting to me to know how kids take losing on a team. And, and you and Greg both have been in the locker room, certainly a lot more than I have recently. But when I did this for Inside Carolina and was in the locker rooms, there were some guys that were devastated after losses, any loss. And I was around uh, when they lost quite a few, uh, 20 of them. And there were guys that were devastated. There were guys that didn't seem to bother that much. And so that that would be from outside looking in is wondering how this team takes those losses. Now, does the sun come up? Players know that you've always got another shot until you don't. And at this point in the season, it's mid-January, mid to late January. Carolina, like you said earlier, Ross, has got a lot of basketball left to play. The one thing from looking at it from this side of it is that the issues um, don't seem to be improving. In fact, they seem to be maybe sliding backwards a little bit. And somebody else on Twitter asked, is this 1994 all over again? And I remember that team very well because you had a national championship team uh, in 93. And then you had uh, all those guys were juniors that were on that team. So you had Montross and Reese and Phelps and all those guys come back and you got Stackhouse and Wallace. Yeah. And Salvadori and you had Stackhouse and Wallace come in that you had to play. Dean Smith had to play those guys. And that created that friction with that team. Um, Maybe with you guys, Sal, not, you know, you lose your starting position to a freshman back then, uh, you know, Dean Smith played seniority ruled and all that different mindset. I don't think this team has anywhere remotely close to that talent at all. That was probably one of the most talented North Carolina teams ever in 94 and then 95 and 96 and 97, 98. 
sort of continue that trend. But Greg, your thoughts on, from what you've seen, the mindset of them. I mean, you play a ton of games, you're going to lose a few. I think the trending way for me looking at it is what would be most concerning and what I think is most concerning for the fan base. Oh, I would say this about the team real quick in terms of kind of locker room dynamic. I think you have two clear leaders in Joel Barry and Theo Pinson. They operate kind of good cop, bad cop. Uh, Barry will get on you pretty hard, and Pinson's kind of the rah-rah guy. And then you have Luke and Kenny as the veterans who kind of, uh, they kind of lead by example. Uh, they, they put in the hard work and those types of things. And there's, there's a lot of young guys, a lot of new faces. Uh, and so I think that's kind of been a, a process. But I think the the big thing for the fan base, and part of the reason you're seeing some of this vitriol, I guess you would say, with, with the team, is that North Carolina has been in the national championship game the last two years. But people need to realize <laughs> that North Carolina has lost Bryce Johnson, Marcus Page, Justin Jackson, Kennedy Meeks, Nate Britt, Isaiah Hicks, off those last two teams. That is a ton of talent that walked out the door. And yes, they've got some some good pieces back, but this team has nowhere near the talent level that those last two teams had. And the, the 94 question, Tommy, I mean, you can make the argument that the 94 team was more talented than 93. And so there was every every good reason to expect and to demand that, that team you know, at least get to the Final Four. So there was understandable outrage when that team got upset by Boston College early in that tournament. This is a different team. I mean, it is built a different way. They don't have the talent. They've got good leadership. Um, what we've seen is you know, against some teams where uh, – they didn't play extremely well you know, against Tennessee, against Wake Forest. Some issues there, but they played well enough because they're veterans late to be able to, to make plays to win some of those games. And that's how it's going to be the rest of the way. Is they're going to have to grit out some of these games. There's going to be a lot of tough ones. Saturday's going to be tough. I think State is a matchup problem for UNC. Um, and so that's going to be a hard game. There's going to be a lot of those. But I would say that they have good leadership, so that bodes well. And Roy Williams' teams always get better. You can knock on him as much as you want to. His teams, every single year, they get better as you get closer to March. So this team will get better. They're going to win a lot of games. Are they good enough to win the ace? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Can they get a double bye? Of course. They've got to play better. Uh, But with him as, as your head coach, you have to feel pretty good about that even though there are plenty of question marks right now. Good stuff, Greg. Good stuff, Ross. Appreciate you taking some of the ask question weight off. It, it gets kind of stressful trying to figure out good questions for you guys sometimes, but always fun to do these podcasts. I know that it's a long way until Saturday, but it'll be here before you know it. Carolina and NC State, I believe that game's at noon. Is that correct? In the Smith Center? So it should be – uh I agree with you, Greg. I think State's a matchup problem, and I think Yurt Seven and and their other bigs could present some issues. Man, if UNC loses a State, well, there'll be some people jumping off the buildings, man. Coming hey, hey. off that Virginia Tech loss and then home versus State. Can you imagine? 
Yeah, all bets are off if that happens. But uh, yeah, and State's been able to beat some some good teams, so we'll see. I think the key there, uh, and I saw I think your man Joe Giglio posted uh, angry Roy's in effect, and who does Roy hate worse than anybody? And that's NC State. Yeah, so that's right. Be, it'll be State. interesting to see uh, see how Carolina comes out in that. But anyway, that'll do it for this edition. Greg Ross, appreciate you joining me. Thanks, Tommy. See you, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.